0: All right, so so Ryan says he doesn't want any of you crying, making it weird. That's making it weird. Thanks. No Okay, I made this announcement a couple weeks ago. Uh, Ryan, like for for the last year, if you guys have missed it, Ryan Ryan has been telling me I, I'm, my life is really busy. He you you got another another kid, and he need to raise a couple of kids. Got this job, and he's like, I am. He he mostly it's volunteer what he does, and he's like, I man, I just don't have time. So, and so for the last year, I've been ignoring him. Every time he says it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, you know. And then right before uh, we started the Jesus series at Christmas, Ryan goes, I'm serious this time, okay? I'm serious. I got other things to do. And so I, I kind of con him into doing every other week up through Christmas. He did Christmas Eve and every other, other week to the end of the series. And, then, and so he's still going to be here. So he's not going anywhere. I mean, he just, when you see him sitting out there, he just doesn't want you to make it all weird where you're all, hey, Ryan, why aren't you up there? He's going to be like, leave me alone, okay? Go cry in your own Cheerios kind of thing. So... There you go, just don't, just don't make it weird, he's still here, he's still around, and and I'm still trying to you know, con him into playing every once in a while and stuff, but it's, it's kind of up to his discretion if he wants to. We we want people, first and foremost, to be pastors of their families like that, and so Ryan's taking care of his family first, and that's what we want. So, you should be like, way to go, I'm and be like, you're leaving me, I, I can't sing along anymore. <laughs> you'll get over it, we've got stuff in the works, you'll see. You'll see. All right. Uh, if you would like to help decorate this week, uh, any, any morning from 10 to 2, if you've got some time in there, you can show up and help. Uh, any evening from 6 to 8 p.m., show up. We'll put you to work. Uh, you don't, I mean, you can do any. We've got tons of stuff, tons of things for you to do, apparently. I've got a big job today to do with something on the stage. So, But anyway, so come up if you want to help decorate. We can use your help to do that. Um, my other announcement for you guys is uh, Element U. Uh, Element University is what, what we call this. And I, I told people this last service. Uh, actually, we, we've got even part of 2015 kind of planned out what we're teaching through. And I want to do this thing called Pharisee University, like you know how not to be a Pharisee. If you want to be, this is the way you do it. And I want to call it PU. Be great, right? Anyway, anyway, so, uh, we just think about element U. U stands for university. And in, uh, what we're doing this time is doing a thing called apologetics. The last one we did was a thing called coherence theory. It's about how you look at the culture and how the culture shapes the church and how the church should instead kind of shape the culture around it and how to kind of interact with that while being missional, while not being a bunch of jerks about it. Anyway, so, uh, the next one's about apologetics. How to defend your faith. Know why you believe what you believe. It's, it's all about it's all about apologetics. So uh, you don't have to sign up for that. It's going to start on Wednesday, March 5th, so you got like over a month to get there. But what we need from you is we need to know if you are going to come. Uh, you gotta we want you to just kind of let us know if what kids you have and if your kids are coming. Okay, so you right there if you need childcare for that and you're planning to come, send a text to that number and say, hey, I've got uh you know a couple kids, one two, one is two, one's five, something like that. Or, if you're like, got a dumb phone, don't have a smartphone, what you can do is you can uh, fill out a comment card and put it on the comment card in the seat back in front of you. Or you can go to the welcome center and you can let them know. So, I got three ways because you guys are terrible. You're terrible at communication, you're terrible at letting us know. Do you feel bad yet? You should. Let us know. Let us know. The, the, last, the last element you, Christy had this whole elementary program planned. And like two elementary age kids showed up. And we had like a million babies. So all of a sudden, everybody's like sitting in the nursery watching all the babies, which is great. You guys are procreating. It's a good thing. She's <laughs> got a lot of babies. And so anyway, so we just want to know what, what we're going to plan for and stuff like that so, that. so that you don't show up and just be like, where's, where's my kid go? We're like, oops. Sorry. So we want to make sure, you know, we have what you need. So let us know one of those three ways. Please. All right. This isn't on the video, by the way. If you're watching online, you never see any of this stuff. So go you, you get extra. Uh, welcome to Ellen. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room you have a smartphone, you can also download an app. It is called Uversion. When you look search for it, it'll say Bible on it and it's brown with a little bookmark in the top. And you download that, you click on live in there. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. If you don't have like a data plan, but you hook onto Elements Wireless here, uh, you can click on live and then put in the, the zip code 93455, 93458, 93454 and you will get the sermon notes and the questions that go all along with this morning. Alright? A tough crowd, tough crowd. I'm going to work you though. All right, why don't you stay on the reading of God's word? This is Philippians chapter two, verses five through seven. It says, "Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men." Let's pray, Father. This morning, I ask that you would teach us as a people to understand true humility that as much as we think that we want to be uh, these people who did something that you saved us, you were the one who came and saved us. And that's a place of humility, that you stepped out of heaven to earth and saved us. So have us live in a place where we hear the things that you long to say to us and that we would worship and serve and follow you as our great God. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we're in this uh, Jesus series. This is the last week of the Jesus series, but I wanted to come back and kind of round this whole thing out. Again this is week 14 and I wanted to end this series for you where this series started for me. How this series started was it's probably about a year and a half ago, I'm mowing my lawn, listening to a podcast by a guy named John Ortberg who is talking about this book that he wrote called Who Is This Man? And it kind of sparked a whole lot of ideas in my head. So that's kind of where, where we did the series. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end where it started for me. I, I stole some of this message, so do with it what you want. You know, but this is the idea for us that Jesus is inspiring. He's inspiring. You and I, God made us to respond to inspiration. It is why certain things move our souls. Because God made us to be inspired. This is why certain songs or certain stories, like TV shows or movies, certain stories and certain issues call and stir the best in us you know, a million people can go see a movie and a million people have an opinion about it, and we go and we judge it based on whether it inspired us but spoke to us. Now I, I know a lot of college age guys who all they seem to do is sit around and play video games and watch TV. Now, I like video games, and I like watching TV, right I 'm not saying those are evil, but this is all that they do. And they start to get a little depressed, and they start to say, "Well, you know my wife, my life isn't worth living." And my response is, you're right. that life is not worth living." It's a tragedy that the comfort of our culture brings us down a road that leads to zero inspiration. All we want is comfort. There is no danger, there's no excitement, and there's no hope. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And what we're going to do is we're look at this letter that Paul writes to this church in, Coloss- in Colossae. And we're going to look at the staggering claims that he makes about Jesus. And I, I, one of the things I love about Jesus and how, how we kind of see him today, and I think it's kind of given a little bit of his due, is that you can go to college you can actually take entire courses just on Jesus. I, it's, it's amazing It's whole field, this whole field That's called Christology You can actually get a major In Christology I don't know anybody else In history That you can do that with So Jesus is simply amazing In Colossians chapter 1 Paul kind of has this view His Christology And he has a very high Christology Which all of us Should eventually have as well Colossians chapter 1 15 through 20 This is what Paul says He That's Jesus Is the image of the invisible God The firstborn of all creation For by him Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and who's him? Jesus. say it with some passion Jesus. Jesus you're not cursing the guy that pulled in front of you people alright everything's made, made made through him and who is him? Jesus. excellent and for him who is him? Your first one was a much more exciting segment. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." Now, this passage, it's a hymn or a poem. And it's not the last time someone in human history was so inspired by Jesus to worship him in some artistic expression. Jerry Hawthorne writes about this passage. He says, It is as though Paul, so overcome with the majesty and goodness of the one who brought hope to the hopeless and deliverance to the captive, considered pros- prosaic sentences totally inadequate to do justice to this person. So his words poured forth in a carefully crafted poem that not only is a literary masterpiece, but the The mountaintop of Christological statements. Beautiful, beautiful. So part of what we're going to do today is round out the series. I'm going to show you some pictures. We're going to talk about some things in history as we we go through this. Uh, Jesus' understanding of the world, his message, his life, his death, his resurrection, and how it has gripped the artistic imagination of the world. In the book, Jesus Through the the Centuries, which I recommend you all pick up a copy, it's a great book, the writer says this, The victory of Jesus Christ over the gods of Greece and Rome by the 4th century was responsible for a massive and magnificent outpouring of creativity that is probably without parallel in the entire history of art. That is the Jesus that you and I follow. And in order to get into some of those things, I think we need to start with the high Christology. Start with Paul and his amazing words. Because his whole message is nothing but Jesus. And some people know certain facts about Jesus, right? Like, oh, he was born in a manger. Oh, I went to Christmas service. Now I know that. You know, Oh, he, he lived in Israel. Or he died on the cross and, and rose from the grave. And oh, I went to Easter service. So, so I know that. But we've got to get a bigger view. You've got to have a high Christology. You got to see. Jesus, as big as he is, he is cosmic in scope. You got to get clear on the cosmicness of Jesus. And that's what we're going to do as we talk about some of these things in art and history. So, number one, Jesus is our icon. And I'll explain what I mean as we go through this. This is where Paul says, He is the image of the invisible God. Icon is the Greek word that is used there for image of God. The question our world looks to in books and magazines and news shows is, number one, does God exist? Is there a God? And secondly, if there is a God, what's he like? There's this old story about a teacher in a kindergarten class walking around and all the kids are drawing pictures. And the teacher walks up to a little girl. She says, what are you drawing? She says, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she says, but nobody knows what God looks like. So the little girl says, when I'm done, they will. When we talk about icon, many people translate that as idol. But all of Eastern Orthodoxy is centered around this idea of icon, the image of God, the Imago Dei. In Israel, through the scriptures, God reveals himself. And he shows that he is not like any other. He is not like anything. God told Israel that he was holy, H-O-L-Y, but he was also holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, He's different than anything we can imagine. He is not an idol. He is not a statue. One of the most important teachings that God gave Israel was God is spirit. The Bible says no one in a sense has ever seen God as he really is. Any devout Jewish person would agree with that statement. No one has ever seen God. He is not reduced to just a mere physical presence. It is central to who he is. Really important. But it can also leave people with this feeling that God is really distant. That he's really hard to know. And this is why Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus shows up so we know who God is and what he is like. John 14, verses 8 and 9, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That is a staggering statement for Jesus to make. You want to know what God is like? You look at me. And so Jesus inspires devotion like no one else in history. He walks along the beach one day and he calls James and John who are out fishing. He calls Andrew and Peter and he says in Matthew 4.19, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now if you've been in church and like the time you like, you hear this story in children's church, they're like, oh here, have some goldfish. Fishers of men, you know, that kind of thing. But you gotta understand this is this is totally out of anybody's comfort zone, this moment. What do they do? They drop their nets, they leave their boats, they leave their dad, they leave their home, they leave their security, they leave their occupation, they leave their identity, they leave everything. And they risk their lives and death for Jesus. And He still does this today. He comes and He says, follow me and I will take your life, your, your little life and I will incorporate it into my Father's kingdom. And you'll be more, more than just about your occupation or your security or, or your savings account. Your life will have eternal significance. Your life is going to be part of what my Father is doing in this world now. That is inspiring. And so when Paul says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that's the biggest question in human existence. This is the reason why Jesus is the most followed and most admired and most sung about and most painted and most sculpted and most recognized figure in human history. Even though in the scriptures, we don't even have a description of what he looks like. Now, you and Sebastian Bach, right? You bring Bach, right? We got it. You all heard of him? Jesus! No, okay. Bach, alright. He, he has a difficult life. Uh, he loses his wife. He lost three of his children when they were very young. And yet he becomes so devoted to God eventually that he would write three letters on all of his music. Here's a picture. S-D-G. All of his music. You know what it stands for? Sodeo Gloria. Sometimes he would write it out on his music. Here's a picture of that. What that means is that to the glory of God alone. That's what he would write. When I took guitar lessons, I had to learn this song, which is Jesus, Joy of Man's Desiring, or Jesus, Joy of Man's Desiring. This is a line from that. Holy wisdom, love most bright, drawn by thee, our soul's aspiring soar to uncreated light. And people have been inspired by who Jesus was and what he did and his vision of real life. Because if you want to live a life that is God-breathed and God-moved and God-shaped and God-inspired, who do you have to get to know? the people in the, oh, this message this morning, it is simple. Okay. It is, it is really simple. It's about one thing. Somebody ever says, Hey, what's that sermon about? I mean, sometimes you're like, I don't know. Sometimes I preach the sermon and I don't really know, you know, but this morning you're way out here with, with one thing. I mean, we make no guarantees about quality today. Okay. No guarantees about quality, but you're going to know what this sermon's about. It's about Jesus. So when I ask you a question, the answer is not going to be the Hobbit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> The answer is going to be Jesus, okay, Jesus. And so, if you would like to live a God-powered and God-shaped and god breathing and God-moved and God-inspired life, who do you have to get to know? Jesus. Oh, that's so much better, so much better. He is the icon, he is the image, he is how we know what God is like. Secondly, Jesus is the creator and he is our creator. He is not just the baby born in a manger, he is the one who did the creatine. And so what Paul does in this section of scripture, he uses what are called rhetorical flourishes, rhetorical flourishes. And so because in, in the Greek, they didn't have all the punctuation that we have. So they have to do different things to make things stand out. So he says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were the thrones and dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things, everything goes over and over in the passage. That is a rhetorical flourish. There's also another thing in here. It's called a chiasm. It's based on the Greek letter chi, which looks like an X, but it's way more cool than that. And it's a pattern. It's a pattern where two ideas are stated and then they're stated kind of in re- in reverse order. So he says, through Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth. Then he says visible. So those are earthly things. And then he says and invisible. Those are heavenly things. So it's a chiasm. And he's simply being poetic. He's not trying to make you all jealous that he's a way better poet than you are. He's doing this for a reason because the people... People in Paul's world were very superstitious, so unlike our world today. If they went and watched a movie like The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby or Insidious or The Conjuring, they would think it was real. It's based on a true story. Right. Okay. Whatever. And so they were afraid of powers and rulers and forces beyond our control. And so what Paul says is he holds the entire world in his hands. In his hands. Way before that little kid song was ever written, Paul said, If you don't have to be afraid, you never have to be afraid because Jesus is the author of creation. And it's not just that. It's also that Jesus is able to make sense of why creation moves. Why it does what it does. Because he made it for his glory and our joy. He loves it. Paul is saying, if you like creation, if it ever moves you, wait until you know the creator. Because he is amazing. And what is wonderful about creation, it's a tiny expression of the one who made it. Number three is that Jesus is our sustainer. It says he is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. This is your vision of Jesus has to get bigger and bigger. It is not just deism that God made a blob and stuck it out and said, let's see what happens. Ooh, dinosaurs, weird. you And that's not what God did. It's not what God did. What it means is that every single moment from now to now, To now, to now, to now, to now, to now, every single moment. The reason it, it stays together, it is sustained by Jesus. It's all held together by Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And part of what that means is you were not made to hold yourself together. You were not meant to do life alone. You were made to depend on Jesus. It's how He made you. He's holding you together. It is why he tells stories and parables that had the central theme, depend on me, pray, don't give up. There's an artist by the name of Albrecht Durer. Uh, he, pa- he painted a picture of praying hands, probably the most famous one anybody's ever seen. Here's a picture of him. You guys have seen those, right? Right? Okay. Satan's <laughs> like, I tattooed that for you. Okay, great. <laughs> Now, what I like about Durer is he's actually uh, shaped spiritually by Martin Luther, but there's a story about this painting and how it kind of came about. Nobody knows for sure, you know, what aspects are exactly correct and what aren't, but it expresses kind of a truth. Uh, Durer, he is from a large but poor family. He was the third of 18 children. Women, can you imagine that? It's like, I'm pregnant again? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, but he was also very gifted at art. And so a friend of his, it might have even been one of his brothers, also loved art. And this friend agreed to go work in the mines to send Albert Durer to art school. And then later when he went through, he'd come back and then work in the mines and his, and his friend or his brother then could go to art school. Now when Durer gets to art school, he shows more skill than all of his teachers. And in just a few years, he makes enough money to bring his brother or his friend out to work at school. So he, so he goes home, he's got his money, he's got all the good news, and he shows up and he sees that his friend's hand, hands have been so beat up by working in the mines he can no longer hold a paintbrush he can no longer do any type of art and what durer remembered is those hands that were clasped in prayer to the great sustainer that jesus would sustain him that jesus would take care of him and so he prayed these hands that were praying for him and that's the most famous painting of a, a pair of praying hands the world's ever known is that right there because jesus inspired this idea that he is the great sustainer number four jesus is our authority Paul says, and Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church. So the text starts to make a turn here. Up until now, it's been about creation. You know, creation, it's amazing. He made it. He sustains it. It's so good. It's a wonderful image of God. But now there is a new creation being talked about. What's that new creation? It's the church. That's what he's talking about. This church, this idea of community, it is Jesus's idea. People say things like, I don't need to be part of a church. I just need Jesus. Well, Jesus made the church for you to be a part of. Well, I don't like churches because they're all hypocrites. So are you. Welcome to the team. I mean, (laughs) seriously, if you want to find a perfect church, you're never going to find it because we're all full of messed up people. But Jesus calls those people his church, and he uses us anyway in the midst of all of our messed up hypocrisy. And so what happens is that when the church first came around, they had no buildings at all. They'd meet anywhere. They even meet in catacombs in Rome. Now, this is a sarcophagus from the 300s right here. And we'll zoom in for you a little bit right in the center. In the center of the sarcophagus, what you have is a figure. At the top, that's Jesus. He's got a scroll. That is wisdom and blessing. And then underneath him is that little figure. It's like, whoop, well, what's going on? And What that is, is that's called the personification of the cosmos. That Jesus has everything under his feet. And this is what churches started to to preach and proclaim that Jesus is the one who holds all things together, and He is our authority. He, this is who Jesus is. And so, when the church began to build buildings, they people who were gifted in design would create cathedrals with the idea they would call you to look up. Have you ever been to to Europe? and you go through some of the large cathedrals, what they do is you walk in, you're like your eyes are drawn to the ceiling. There's paintings everywhere. You're like, this is amazing. But they always, when you walk in, you kind of feel a little small because the ceilings are so high. If you ever get a chance to go to Rome, go to St. Peter's Basilica, go inside and just stand in there because you feel so tiny. But that was the point. They were to make you feel small so you realize how big God actually is. That's what they want you to see. But also in that, churches spring up Everywhere. I mean, even today, there are still followers who meet in huts in Africa. There are house churches that are illegal, but they still pop up in China. We meet in an old car dealership. It's crazy. You ever wonder why 2,000 years later, the church still exists? It's not because we're so well organized. I mean, if anybody ever says to you, I don't like organized religion, say, great, come to Element. We're totally disorganized. (laughs) You'll like it. The church has not lasted 2,000 years because it's got a great organization chart. The most important thing about a church is not the building. It's not even the people. The most important thing about a church is the person to whom it belongs. Who is the church's head? And who is that? Jesus. Excellent. Excellent. See, it's not me. It's not you. It's not the elders. It's not the staff or the deacons. The head of the church is Jesus. And the authority of Jesus includes the authority of the scriptures. That's how we uniquely come and preach and talk about who he is. And as we then face the future, whatever changes go on in our world, and our world is rapidly changing, you know, we know that his words don't change. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. His He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We obey him. And so what was true yesterday is still true today. And it'll be true forever and ever and ever. Number five, Jesus defeated our enemies. Our enemies. In 1 Corinthians 15, 26, Paul says the last enemy to be, to be destroyed is death. But That's our enemy. Jesus defeated our enemy. I mean, we hate death. Statistics show the only thing Americans hate more than death is public speaking. It's crazy. Paul says, verse 18, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, including death, He might be preeminent. Now, we don't do a lot of catechism stuff around element, but the Heidelberg Catechism, it starts with this question right here. It says, what is your only comfort in life and death? And this is the response, and I want you to say it with me, because catechism is supposed to be responded to. So one, two, three. That I am not my own, but belong. Trying to find a rhythm in there, I can tell. You're trying. That's right? it, it, great. These are amazing words to remember. I am not my own. We belong, body and soul, life and death, to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the only foundation for true life. And for Jesus to do this, it cost him his life. But not everybody understands this. 1 Corinthians one eighteen says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Hans Holbein did a painting of Christ, what he envisioned it to be after the crucifixion. Here is his painting. That is a very... Ugly, ugly painting. And that's something you should look at and be like, man, that, that is just, that's, just, that's just brutal. He wanted to show the ugliness of death, the price that Jesus was willing to pay. And so he painted that picture so people were like, oh, you know, it's not like Jesus wrapped in a white robe, hanging on people. This, this is what he wanted people to see, that death is ugly. Now, centuries later, another writer by the name of Dostoevsky stared at this painting for days, for days. It moved him so deeply that God would somehow die for the forgiveness of our sins that he wrote a book called The Idiot. And in this book, he writes this. Looking at that picture, death has senselessly seized, cut cut to pieces, and swallowed up impassively and unfeelingly a grave and priceless being, a being worth the whole of nature and all its laws, worth the entire earth, which was perhaps created solely for the coming of that being. In Dante's, the divine comedy, comedy doesn't mean ha-ha-ha, comedy means it has a happy ending versus a tragedy. But in the divine comedy, he says, above the gates or the doors of hell are written a single statement, Abandon hope, all you who enter here. If you ever been upstairs in Element, we could hang that sign too. Abandon hope, all you who go upstairs here, because it's not great. This, this is the idea that we are lost, we were lost in our sin, that death was coming for every single one of us. Death is ugly, death is brutal, death is terrible. But the beauty of the resurrection is that Jesus conquered our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. When all hope was gone on the third day, he rises again. The grave cannot contain him. And so the question is asked, is he your only hope in life and death? Question number number, number six is, Jesus is our reconciler. Jesus is our reconciler. It says, for in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now, the fullness of God, it's a really, really big, big idea. Throughout the book of Genesis, you see God loves to create and then fill. He makes the land and fills it. He makes the sky and fills it. He makes the the seas and then, then he fills them up. God is full of life and light and love and joy, and he longs to fill. And so Paul says, For in him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. That's not just some of it, that is all of his fullness. All of his fullness. And because Jesus shows up as God and dies for our sin, Jesus is our our world's one hope for reconciliation. Now, Leo Tolstoy was so moved by this that he wrote a book called War and Peace. Maybe one of the most famous books about war in the history of the human race. And Tolstoy writes this, he says, "Men Men need only trust Christ's teaching and obey it, and there will be peace on earth. That's what he says. I mean, you want to know how peace breaks out on earth? That's it right there. Ephesians 2.14, Paul says, he himself is our peace. And number six goes with number seven, which is Jesus is our sacrifice. Paul says, making peace by the blood of the cross. I mean, there is one image our world over that is more well-known than anything else. Rappers wear it. Christians wear it. Homeless guys will spray paint it in the back of Element. It is the picture of a cross, picture of a cross. The cro- a cross marks more graves than any other symbol on earth. One of the oldest poems in the English language is called, it was called A Dream of the Rood. This goes back to the 1600s and the word "rood" is an old English word for rod or tree and it's about the cross. This is part of what it says. I saw the God of hosts harshly stretched out, all creation wept. King Spall lamented Christ was on a rood. May he befriend to me who here on earth died on that gallows tree for mankind's sin. This is the idea of reconciliation and sacrifice, that Jesus died for our sin. We are cut off in our relationship with God. We were cut off because we are full of pride when it comes to what Jesus says, when we say, we do what we say, and not what Jesus says. And we let him take a backseat to everything that we want to do. We have broken relationship with God. And Jesus came to pay for that sin, to reconcile that relationship with God again. It is through him. Centuries later, a man named John Bunyan writes a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan spent much of his life in jail for his faith. The very first line in the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, says this, I saw a man with his face turned away from his own house, a book in his hand, a burden on his back. The Pilgrim's Progress, it's a whole book that's all metaphor for the Christian life. Now, the book in the guy's hand is a Bible. The burden on his back is sin. Sin is a burden that we all carried. John Milton writes this poem called Paradise Lost. Sometimes people call this the greatest poem in the English language. And in that poem, Satan expresses his desire for sin this way. He says, better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. You know what that is? That's our culture. That's our culture. That is life in our world. We would rather reign without God than submit and yield to and serve under him. Is why Augustine said that all sin comes from pride. We want to be God of our own lives. We don't want to submit. We don't want to trust. We don't want to follow Him. And this is why Jesus died for our sin, to reconcile us back to God, to take away that sin so our relationship with God comes back together again. Jesus is a sin sacrifice. And the question becomes really personal because it's not just, do you know about Him? It's not just, do you find Him inspirational? The question is, have you met Him? Or are you ready to meet Him? I mean, are you someone who is willing to humbly confess and surrender all of you to all that He is, to live and walk in the grace of Jesus through His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead? Because when we as a people trust Him as our Savior and King, He sends His Spirit into our lives and He inspires us and changes us every day. He gives us eternal life and every day the Spirit more and more prepares us for life everlasting because nothing is too much for Him. That's why we worship him. John Oberg writes this. he says he is the maker of the universe he is the sustainer of existence he is the ruler over every power no matter how big it looks to us he is the image of god the icon he is the fullness of god he is the wisdom of god he is the presence of god he is the defeater of death he is a sin conqueror Conqueror. he is the guilt obliterator he is the final sacrifice he is the blood giver he is the cross bearer he is the tomb breaker he is the peacemaker he is now head over his body the church he is the reconciler of all things he is the maker redeemer savior forgiver lord friend guide shepherd and hope for all eternity. And what is his name? Jesus. Exactly. His name is Jesus. Element, we are about one thing. We are about Jesus. You may be like, man, they say that that same thing all the time here. It's because that's all we are. That's all we got. That's all we lift up. We don't lift up us. We lift up Jesus. And guys, I will tell you that if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've never committed to follow him, today is the best day in the world to do that. Today, because he is the one who inspires us and changes us, and forgives us, and brings us back into relationship with our great and good God. Jesus does all this for us. He takes the burden off of our backs. And if you are someone in this room this morning and you want to know Jesus, you want to meet him or talk to someone about him, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back to pray with you. And they'd love to talk to you about who Jesus is. Uh, the band's going to come up do a couple songs. And and as they do, we invite you guys, you know, to uh, take communion. Communion is uh, where you break that cracker, you remember Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, it reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I because, you know, we were a people who were lost. And yet he came and that burden that was on our back, that burden of sin, Jesus paid for. Jesus took it away. We don't have to have this burden on our back anymore. Because Jesus, as the sacrifice, took the burden of sin away and he reconciles us to God because he is good. He is who we focus on. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back and we give because God gave so much to us, Giving as part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. It's a response to what he's done. Now, there's food and stuff in the back. There were some really great donut holes last service. I don't know if you got any, but they were amazing. I am sure Jesus inspired somebody to make donut holes. It's great. But I want you to grab something to eat, maybe meet somebody else. Go out and talk about this and how amazing Jesus is. But again, guys, if, if you in your life have been living just for yourself, if you've been living thinking everything that you want to do is just the right thing, surrender, worship, love, serve, follow Him. Follow Him. And our lives begin to make sense because they, are not never, they weren't ever meant just to be about us. Our lives are meant to be about Jesus. The one who sustains us, loves us, forgives us, and saves us. And if we can do anything as a church, our goal is to lift him up and tell all men about him. So everyone who worship and come to know that Jesus is amazing. And again, if, if you've been living your life just for yourself, there would be some diggings and Elders in the back if you need prayer. They'd love to introduce you to who Jesus is. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, this morning, we as a people want to be those who humbly... Humbly understand the great gift of grace you have given us. So often, so many people in this world who call themselves Christians think they're better than everybody else. And we're not. We are the same as everybody else. You have forgiven. You have loved. You have taken care of our sin. And that is an invitation to every person on this planet that there is not one person better than another. We are all people that you died for. We are the people you have reconciled. We are the people that are in desperate need of you. And so today, have us understand the necessity for loving and worshiping and following you. That when anything buffets our lives, we understand that our great God has come for us. And then we can always say that it is well with us because our God has saved us. Take all that we are this morning. Have it be. Have us be. A people fully sold out and committed to you as you have forever been committed to us we ask this in your son's good name amen